yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not easy. Um, Welcome to the 40 Fit and Fabulous podcast. Join your host, Mark Slight, as he gets the best information, inspiration, help, and advice from the world's best athletes, performance coaches, and health experts so that you can look, move, and feel your best at 40 and beyond. Remember, it's never too late to live the life of your dreams. Now here's your host, Mark Slight. Hey, welcome back to the 40 Fit and Fabulous podcast. This is episode number 27 with Olympic ski cross competitor Emily Sarsfield. Now, before we get going, it's kind of like confession time here. I actually released this podcast earlier today, um, but then I pulled it off of iTunes and Stitcher because because I actually spoke to Emily just after I released the podcast. And Emily said to me that she'd listened back to part one and she didn't realize just how maybe how tough her, her life was doing everything herself. And she said it made her feel quite emotional actually hearing herself say these words back. She always knew how tough it was. She knew what she had to do. She was planning everything herself, working in the summertime to get sponsorship money. And she knew what she was doing. And, and as we've said before, it is what it is. If she wants to compete, she wants to reach these high levels. It's just what she had to do. There was no two ways about it. If she didn't do it, she didn't compete. So she just got on with it, which is kind of a very British thing to do, I think. And she's done it really, really well. But she did say to me that once she heard it back, she realized maybe just it was a bit tougher than what she thought it was. Now, I get this a lot with my clients and I'm not suggesting for for one minute that Emily's burying her head in the stand and ignoring what's going on because I'm sure she's very much aware of everything that she's doing. But a lot of us can do exactly that, bury our head in the sand. A lot of people will come to me, they need to lose weight or they'll they'll be depressed, they'll be sad, they'll be miserable, they're in a poor relationship. And they know it's been like it for two, three years maybe. And it's only when they jump on a call with me and I, I ask them the question, what do you need help with? What's wrong? And they start to actually say the words out loud that the emotion hits, that they burst into tears, they break down because they can hear themselves say the situation they're actually in. Even though they know it, they're just kind of burying their feelings down and they're not allowing their feelings to come out every single day. They're just pushing them further and further down, ignoring the problems, ignoring their plight and thinking tomorrow's another day. I'll get over it. It doesn't matter. We'll start again next week, next Monday, New Year. But if you keep doing that and you don't address the problem, when you get to what I would say is a breaking point, that all these feelings and these emotions come up and that's when you break down. That's when you start to cry and share your emotions. And the overwhelming emotion I get on the calls is that of disappointment. Disappointment that they've let themselves get this far. Disappointment they've let it go on for two to three years, knowing full well what they was doing to their health, knowing full well that they was just getting worse and worse by the day, by the week, by the month, but not actually taking action and doing anything about it. So what I implore everybody to do is find someone and talk to them. Get your feelings out. Say them out loud. Once you say them out loud, you're going to start to realize exactly the situation you're in. And it's then probably going to motivate you to go and do something about it. It might motivate you to go running if you want to lose a bit of weight. It might motivate you to cut out the takeaway food or to eat a little bit better, eat a bit more fruit and veg. It might even encourage you to go and reach out to a coach. Now, you don't have to reach out to a coach. You can, by all means, you can reach out to me and <laughs> you know what? I highly recommend you do that. But just talk to someone, talk to a relative, talk to a friend. If you haven't got someone to talk to, write your thoughts down, write your feelings down and then read them back to yourself. It works just as well. And once you hear yourself say the words, that's when you get that release. That's when you get that sort of epiphany moment that, okay, 
Now I need to do something. That's what kickstarts the motivation and brings in the discipline into your life because you know it's time to stop burying your head in the sand. It's time to take action and do something about it. So if you can do that one thing for me, go and connect with someone, share your feelings, share your thoughts, get it out in the open. You're going to feel a lot, lot better. One other thing that's going to make you feel a lot better is listening to the second half of this podcast with Emily Sarsfield. We talked in the first half about Emily's background, how she got into the ski and how it developed and the injuries that she suffered. In this episode, we're going to talk a lot more about the Olympic Games, how Emily was disappointed to miss out on two and and the elation she felt and the joy and the pride she felt to finally compete in Pyeongchang in 2018. And it gives a real insight into the mental state and mental capacity of an Olympic athlete and the difference how they cope with different situations to maybe how how we would if we if we was in this situation and it's a fascinating insight so again grab a cup of tea grab grab a glass of water sit back and relax and enjoy part two with olympic ski cross champion emily sarsfield welcome yeah. back emily hello how are you doing yeah good thank you thank you um we finished up the last episode talking about how how busy you are how you how you get everything done yourself now I know I'll give you some questions before we start the podcast. I've got one that I've added to it. Um, how hard is it for you to have relationships and to date when you're so busy? Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy. Um, I think, I mean, the past year was just so focused on kind of like that being an Olympic year. And I honestly don't think I was in one place for more than kind of uh, 10 days so I don't really think that can like mix so well with kind of um, relationships but that's the focus at that time so that's the kind of yeah they're, they're the kind of sacrifices which you you have to take and it's not just in sport it's in many other jobs as well um so so yeah not not ideal <laughs> um but now I'm in one place for longer than 10 days maybe it'll look better <laughs> maybe um what so going back to your training quickly then we said you don't have a mental coach or a, or a physical coach um but you've you've touched you, you've touched on a few in the past you've got a few bits of information do you do you like working with coaches like that if you if you had the choice would you be having a team emily would you have the mental coach would you have a nutritionist or is it something that you're oh. quite happy to do yourself no, 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 100%. Um, like, I would love to have that kind of, like, support team just to kind of, it relieves so much pressure off off you and you can actually just focus on being an athlete. Like, last year I had, um, yeah, physical trainer and stuff down at BXR and uh, I could tap into some nutritional support and, um, yeah, it was, it, it does just make you, you don't have to think about kind of like, oh, what am I, what am I actually training at the gym today? You know, someone's there who's got all of that in hand and they're, they're sorting all that out for you. Um, so to have that kind of structure around you would be the dream of any athlete. Um, I tell you what I have found more difficult though is from micromanaging my whole program myself, when I've then gone out and kind of had that support come in from sponsors and, and people who just really wanted to help me out, I found it quite difficult to hand over the reins <laughs> and kind of like give them that control. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So my physical coach, um, James Connell, Collins, he'll like, he'll, if he listens to this, he'll be laughing because he'll be like, every session I was like, whoa, 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 why are we doing that? And he was like, 
well, because we need to do it for this. And I'm like, and then the next, the next thing, he's like regurgitating a book at me. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I've got it. I'll just do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of like, you do end up kind of like controlling so much yourself over the years to kind of hand over that kind of responsibility and to somebody else and trust somebody else entirely with kind of like, yeah, your physical training. It is actually quite, it's quite scary. Yes. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely helped me, helped me out loads. And psychologists and stuff who I've worked with in the past, kind of coming back from injuries and um, just uh, also the, the everyday kind of like of, of what it's like kind of being an athlete and moving around the world. It's definitely not as glamorous as what people, I don't just go skiing and athlete skiing in, in all over the world. Um, it's definitely not that glam. So yeah, working with sports psychologists has been kind of like, yeah, a, a key thing throughout my career. And to have, to have been working with someone constantly, I think would have released an awful lot of stress. Yeah. Well, I want to get to that in a minute, just the mental side of things, but I'm just thinking about the day-to-day nutrition. How, how hard is that for you to go from a, from a non-training diet to a training diet? How much does it vary and how much knowledge do you have to change that yourself? Yeah, well, luckily um, I kind of like went and did sport through throughout school and then went on to university and studied sport and um so I had a kind of like a little bit of a background to kind of like how the body works and and things like that so and nutrition is definitely something which I've been kind of like more interested in kind of like over the last few years so I'm quite lucky that I have really got a passion and interest for the training and the nutrition and kind of just basically how to push your body to its maximum um so that is actually it doesn't feel like work for me because I just find it interesting so it's the diet changes luckily I'm in a skill-based sport so it's not something where we get measured in on weight like boxing or or something like that and it and luckily I'm in a gravity sport so I can have a a little bit of weight (laughs) but ultimately the idea is to be able to move your body as quickly and as powerful as possible so um yeah making sure diet is then key and and being able to get everything out of each training session diet is again extremely key and supplements and um what have you in the winter um yeah we're constantly in hotels so that's really hard to kind of manage what you're eating because you're not in control of it and as an athlete the one thing we're told about is kind of control the controllables and then suddenly you're like oh I'm not in the kitchen cooking that food um but yeah it's just been smart it's smart choices um it's making sure you're prepared on flights as I said we travel a lot and traveling across Europe in the car you don't get offered kind of like the best of food so it's just making sure that I've got kind of all those foods and um all those snacks there ready for me ready for those journeys yeah <coughs> excuse me do you um do you track your food do you track your macros calories that kind of thing yeah i do and um, not i wouldn't say a hundred percent of the time um in winter not so much because again like being in hotels and stuff it's really hard to know exactly what's in the food yeah. um but yeah in the summer i do um summer's when i'm really trying to get a lot out of my body kind of like in training like with three sessions a day and stuff like that so therefore that's important but you know i just use a free <laughs> oh there was someone, someone emptying their bins um <laughs> yes yeah, so i just use a free tracking app just uh yeah what's it called um my fitness pal yeah um so yeah so then and then that gives me kind of like the, the detail of, of macros and, and calorie content and stuff like that so yeah yeah cool 
So let's get back to the to the mental side then. I want to go back and see if, see if I've got my facts right now. 2009, when you got seriously injured, is that right? Pre-Olympic? Yeah, that's right. Magic. Um, what, what happened there? What was the injury? Yeah, so 2009, Olympic test event, um, debut Olympics in Vancouver, second last jump on the Olympic track, and there was a hole on the landing, one leg landed in it, the other one didn't, and I managed to snap all four ligaments in my knee. So that's your ACL, your MCL, your PCL, your LCL, and uh, damaged some meniscus and cartilage as well at the same time. So pretty much did everything. Oh yeah, and fractured my femur and tibia too. Wow. (laughs) What was the thought process when, when you found that diagnosis out, when you found all them facts out? Did you think you'd be back on skis again? Well, I actually got taken to the to the medical center on site at the time because they were practicing all the medical procedures with of which they needed to make them quicker <laughs> um because i was on the snow for about an hour and a half waiting in a schedule i'm sure but um yeah once i got to the medical center and the guy kind of like did the you know the lax laxity tests on my on my knee i kind of turned around and and said well i'm pretty flexible you know i used to be a gymnast and uh, quite quite arrogantly said that and he was like yeah but not in your joint and I was like uh, okay and I still was in denial I thought I pulled a ligament um that was all and I said oh, I think I've just pulled this pulled this muscle here or pulled this ligament and he was like oh do you want to run across the car park then and I was just like well no that'd be a bit silly anyway I went off that kind of an hour later for an MRI and um the lady who did the radiologist who did the MRI kind of came out of that and went holy shoot you well and truly screwed that one up and I was just like oh my goodness it's real I've actually hurt myself because it's still at this point I thought I pulled a ligament so then I thought right okay I've, I've done this ACL thing people keep on talking about you know um, as a skier it's eventually got me so I was like okay rehab time for that six months perfect um, didn't have the report of knowing exactly what I'd done at this point and flew back to the UK, went in to see the surgeon. At this point, he had the report and, uh, and I said, right, okay, so can we get in and get this, um, this surgery tomorrow? And, he, and I said, because, you know, I've only got 12 months until the Olympics, so I need to be kind of back and ready in 11 months and, and you know, Olympic fit. And he turned around and said to me, well, whoa, 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 let's just hold on a second. You might not ski again. And I was like, what? So this guy's there telling me that I might not ski again because of the extent of my injury. And I'm kind of like there just basically planning that I needed to have the surgery within the next 48 hours to make my timeline work. And um, I basically ignored him. And I was pretty stubborn. And still was going with my timeline. Anyway, we had to have a couple of surgeries. Um, but he managed to repair kind of like all the ligaments and stuff. And I was actually back on my skis in 10 months. So I had this just really like, I don't know, my brain just flipped. And I just was just like, I ignored anything negative and was just like, well, my timeline is this. I became really obsessive about kind of like these stepping stones and kind of like how I was going to achieve kind of that end goal. So, uh, yeah, I I turned really quite obsessive quite funny actually <laughs> <laughs> so at what point did you did you finally realize that the olympic dream that year was over um I, d- I didn't and i think it's really good 
thing that I didn't because that was my carrot. That was the thing which was keeping me going. That was kind of like every day waking up and and doing my physio exercises every hour on the dot was the reason I was doing it was because of that Olympics. So that was the complete motivation. And if I at any point had thought that that wasn't possible, it, it would have been a completely different rehab process for me. Yeah. Um, and mentally it would have been... I don't think I would have been able to cope with that. It became difficult when I um, I was about three months into rehab or four months into rehab and I, I got the teletendinopathy and basically I went backwards. I was just starting to squat with light weights in the gym and then a week later I couldn't walk upstairs. A week later I was only allowed to lunge in a, in a pool and basically kind of, kind of basically went back to kind of stage two of rehab. So that was, um, yeah, that was tough. But then I still, I was like, okay, it's all right. Cause I still had time on my timeline and uh, I got back skiing in 10 months and I was back racing in about 10 and a half months. And so, so I'd, I'd kind of made it to where I wanted to be. The difficult thing then came when, um, I was still sitting in the position to get selected for the games because I'd made the criteria beforehand and the, um, my federation changed kind of the criteria and added a little buffer in basically saying the person who performs the best in the last two competitions will go to the games because essentially I was sitting there that the number two at the time hadn't beaten, hadn't got a better world rank than me and hadn't beaten my previous two injury results. So kind of like the, I, it was still kind of looking that I was going to be got the games, and obviously they were weren't sure if if I was fit enough, and the other girl was actually skiing better me, than me at this t- time because obviously I'd just come back from this huge injury. Um, so yeah, so that was when yeah reality hit, and I knew I wasn't going to be going. <laughs> oh dear! So fast forward, <laughs> fast forward four years, um, and you miss out oh. on the games again. <laughs> so sorry to bring it up. But, uh... Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely brutal. But yeah, what happened? Um, so it was tough after Vancouver because obviously you'd, you'd essentially had got back from this crazy huge injury and rehabbed myself back to get to the games and, and felt I was ready to go. And luckily I'd, after the games, I kind of made British history and was the first woman to win a Europa Cup event just one month after that game. So I kind of was able to be like a little bit, oh, told you so kind of thing. So, but then it was kind of the focus was then on the next four years and to make sure I was physically, mentally and stronger, um, ready for the Sochi Olympics and went to the Sochi test event, um, didn't get injured and actually got 14th. That was my best result. Like, yeah, loved the track there, was, had made qualification ready criteria. I'd had this email from kind of my federation saying, congratulations, you made criteria. And um, basically, there's only 32 girls in the world get invited to ski cross in the Olympic Games. And I was sitting at 31. And in the last race um, before the Olympics, I dropped out to 33. And uh, Britain were like, well, you had to be 32. And the next day, kind of those girls who'd been, been removed from the list because you can only take a certain number of people per country. So I jumped up to 27th rank in the world. But because I was 33 on the 19th and 27th on the 20th, they were like, yeah, but we're taking the 19th and you're not in the 32. So therefore, you're, they declined my invitation. 
which was absolutely heartbreaking. And I honestly thought that it was, um, yeah, it's just a blip that was going to change and I'd, I'd be still going at games. But um, yeah, no, they were pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> strong with kind of their ruling and that was it. I wasn't, I wasn't going to be going. Well, I know, I know that's tough and I, I didn't want to bring that up, but the reason I did was because you've then missed two Olympic Games. You're coming up to Korea. Yeah. You, you go into the yeah. Games. What's your thought process yeah. like? Are you worried about being injured? Are you worried about technicalities going wrong? Are you worried about missing the third Games? Um, yeah, so that missing out on Sochi was more difficult for me than missing out on Vancouver because of injury because that was almost my fault whereas Sochi was completely out of my control and I was absolutely devastated I actually took a year off from skiing to have some further knee surgery never a good time to have to you know have surgery but it gave me some respite from the sport and it made me refocus to see if I actually wanted to continue because that killed like a lot of passion for the sport and I wasn't in control of that decision Anyway, the dream was still there. And um, yeah, I decided to kind of continue on to Pyeongchang. Um, so then it was all about kind of like, again, that stepping stone process, which I'd done through my injury and just making sure it was small goals, which would then like lead to kind of ultimately the bigger goal. But the goal was never the Olympics. A lie, it totally was, but I could never say that to myself. Yeah. And I sit here now and I'm now in a very, like mentally, it's in a very diff weird position because I've just worked so hard for 12 months for, a, for the ultimate goal and for the last 12 years. But last year, if you'd asked me, oh, so you know, the girls, the Olympics, and I was just like, no, 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 no. But <laughs> and basically I couldn't make it my goal because I couldn't, I didn't know mentally if I'd be able to cope with missing out on a third Olympics. But I knew that all of those little stepping stones I put in place were to make me stronger, faster, and physically be a physically better athlete. And if all of that was to go, then it was going to go hand in hand. The Olympics was going to happen. Yeah. So that, so my goal was not focused on the Olympics. It was focused on my performance. And how about and, now? How about now? Is there is there another Olympics? Are you focusing on that? And <laughs> um, right now it's a. a you know, just getting my head around kind of the, the last 12 months because like we go to say about kind of, you're asking me kind of what was my thought process going into the last 12 months. I am, um, in February 2017, I actually sustained another injury and uh, stacked both my MCLs on both my right leg and my left leg. And not many people actually know this because it was before the Olympics and I didn't want to tell anyone. And um, because I didn't want it to A, go against me because like it potentially could have done back in Vancouver. And um, also I kind of didn't want to really make it a focus. So I actually was supposed to have surgery back in October, but we declined surgery in order to kind of make sure I was ready for Pyeongchang. So it's been a huge year of kind of management. So although when you say back to kind of what was my training like in the last episode, actually this year my training was three hours physio a day, along with my extra sessions. So I was kind of training eight hours a day, slash rehabbing three, slash training. And then in the winter, it was all about kind of like, as soon as I was off the snow, it was, had ice on my knee, I was compressing, and it was all about the management plan of, uh, of my injury. Um, and I was, 
I'd ticked that criteria boxes again, but it's never, ever a sealed deal. So you just can, <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking, I know now I've made it to the game because I was nowhere I could get knocked out with the 32. I was like, right, do I race? And I was like, I just want to wrap myself up in cotton wool. I don't want to. But you then equally, you're an athlete. You're there to do a job. You're there to race. And I knew that to get my best performance in the Olympics, I needed to be racing and competing. So it was really hard to kind of make the right decisions back in kind of December and January of whether I should ski or whether I shouldn't. And um, so I just made really smart choices. And yeah, I raced. But yeah, it was, um, it was quite tough. And even until the day on the 23rd of January when I was getting the phone call from my federation to say if I'd made the team until I had that phone call even though I knew <laughs> I could not ever ever like sit down and be like yeah I've made it and then suddenly it all happened very quickly and the phone, phone call came and I was just <sighs> so yeah and then the next year was kitting out and suddenly I was at the Olympics and then suddenly the Olympics were over and <laughs> now it's summer and it all happened just crazily quick. Yeah. Was it worth it? <laughs> oh yeah, unbelievable. I mean, it's just my journey's been so different to many others. And I think that's what kind of makes it even more special. All those kind of challenges along the way, all those hurdles, which essentially I've had to come out the other side on my own and kind of those many people might have like been told that they never never ski again that might have been the end when I kind of had that heartbreak around Sochi that could have easily been the end but kind of like to actually get there and achieve it and to be able to call myself an Olympian now but after having that kind of like such a challenging journey like really yeah makes it makes it mean quite a lot <laughs> good good so what's just before we wrap up then Emily what's what's the next step for you Next step for me is um, get that surgery, which I was due in October. <laughs> um, no, the next step is, yeah, I'm right now, like I'm off my skis at the moment, um, just getting physical preps kind of going. Um, yeah, deal with some kind of underlying niggles and uh, yeah, just enjoy a little, bit of, a little bit of me time and then get back on the snow in about a month's time. And uh, yeah, get... I'll be, we've got world champs next year over in America. So I'll be over, well, fingers crossed. <laughs> I'll be over and um, competing in that. So good. Well, best of luck for the future. Hopefully okay, the so injuries, injuries stay away for as long as possible. Yeah, I think injuries are part and parcel of any athlete's journey. Um, because at the end of the day, we're pushing our bodies kind of like physically to the next level. Uh, it's kind of almost kind of like physical activity is good for you, but sport's bad for you. <laughs> but it's just because of how much you're physically pushing yourself. And yeah, it's, um, it's a decision I made. So that's, that's what it is. That is your life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a good life though. Thanks for sharing it with us, Emily. Thank you. Thank you. I was so excited, so pumped when Emily agreed to come on the podcast and 
Not only has she not disappointed, but she's far exceeded my expectations. I absolutely love talking to Emily for this time, getting all this information. She shared things I didn't think she'd share. And she's been really open, really honest, and gave us great insights into the, the workings of an Olympic athlete's mind and all the struggles and trials and tribulations that go on, not just in the three or four weeks while they're actually at the Games, but the three or four years in between the Games as well, the injuries, the the, the sponsorship struggles and the transport and, and just, just getting yourself ready to be in that position to compete at your best because it's not just a case of, of getting to the Olympics. It's about hitting peak performance at that time as well. So when Emily was saying that Jenny Jones helped her out for the that final year of prep for the Olympics, hitting your peak at the right time is crucial. And that can be the difference between a gold and a silver medal if you just peak at the very right moment. All these little things that you've put in place over the previous four years, previous eight or 12 years maybe, all comes together for a two, three or four week period and maybe maybe just two or three runs down a ski slope. So it's really, really critical that everything has to be right. And in Emily's case, to get everything right when you're doing absolutely everything yourself is just unbelievable. I cannot tell you how amazing that is for somebody to do that. Right, next week we have a bit of a change to the podcast. Normally, as you'll know, we release two episodes per week, usually on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Over the next two weeks, there's going to be three episodes going out every week. That's going to go out on a Monday, a Wednesday and a Friday. And the reason for that, I've got two amazing guests coming on that, I'll be brutally honest, I I just couldn't shut up. They couldn't stop talking. And I loved it for them. I asked them both at the end of recording the second part if they'd be happy to come back and do a third part because I hadn't finished with them. There was so much more they could give and I knew there was so much more they could give. And credit to both Brett and Kirsten, they both snapped up the opportunity to stay on. And I think they would have stayed on for more too if we, if we had the time to go through it. They're a fantastic couple of episodes and they're covering every aspect of a healthy life. From mental state, nutrition, exercise, lifestyle, habits, everything you need to live a healthy life is going to be in the next six episodes. And they're going to come to you in the next 14 days. So go over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast because you really, really don't want to miss these. I know I say that with every episode. And that's just because my guests are so amazing. I'm so honoured and humbled to have such amazing people on my podcast that I can share their information and their insights into the world with everyone who's listening. And we're all getting value from it. Go over to iTunes and subscribe. You won't miss it. You'll get the notification pop up on your phone. Thanks again to Emily for appearing on these two episodes. It's been absolutely amazing. I've loved it. Take care, guys. And I'll speak to you again in episode number 28.